This is Resolutions, a podcast from the American Bar Association's Dispute Resolution Section. I'm one of your co-hosts, Larry Schooler. I'm a mediator and director of consensus building at CDNP. What if two parties slugging it out at the state capitol could produce a win-win solution? That's the question tackled by our guest today. In part one of this episode, you heard from representatives from electric cooperatives and solar energy providers in Virginia who worked with the mediator to resolve their differences. And in part two, you'll hear from the mediator. Here's Mark Rubin, executive director of the Virginia Center for Consensus Building at Virginia Commonwealth University. My experience was that legislators like it when the, the sides can come to an agreement. Uh, typically, they buy the agreement. Uh, it reduces their role from being getting into the weeds on a specific um, issue to is the result uh, something that's in the public interest. And it, and it cuts out an awful lot of uh, distractions uh, if you can get things done. And so I work very hard. Uh, as, and, and I'm fortunate Virginia is a place where people generally are pretty civil to each other. And, and there's a lobbying corps that knows each other fairly well. And, you know, we, we know who to talk to and we would talk to each other. Uh, folks like to keep control of the dispute and the resolution of the dispute wherever possible. And this process allows you as much control as you can, given that the, the final product has to go through the legislative process. But that notion that, that you have the folks with expertise sitting at the table trying to resolve it uh, and having some control over what the final product is that is going to go through the public process seems to be very important to people. Um, the second is, um, I do tell them that the chances of success for the legislation are very high if you walk in with a consensus. Um, and the other piece I tell folks is that that when you can get to a consensus piece of legislation, people have invested enough time and energy and usually money in the process that they want it to succeed. And so they will work to be the lobbyist. You create a cohort of lobbyists as a part of this process. And folks will be spending more time trying to implement the, the result than trying to undermine it, which sometimes happens. You could, if you have a winner and a loser in a general assembly process, then people, you know, if you, if you lose there, okay, you know, should I file a lawsuit and see if I can do something with it? Or if there's a regulation that is gonna come up to implement it, should I, you know, take a shot at that? So those, those are pretty significant pieces for, for lobbyists. Um, it's not cheaper. Uh, because they have to pay me, uh, at least in Virginia they do, we don't have a public office of mediation. So they have to hire somebody like me to do it, so it's expensive. However, um, it, it's not necessarily uh, takes as much of the lobbyist time as, uh, as it would the actual stakeholders um, to be able to, it takes more of their time. Uh, but if you have a corporation or you have some, some uh, industry that you know, is bringing somebody from a corporation or, or an interest group as the expert, it's their time, which is different than having to pay a lobbyist. So I wouldn't say it's cheaper, but it, it's, it's at least comparable. So I, um, I try to 
to raise all of those points with people to try and uh, persuade. And the other part is that um, if you believe, like I do, that that uh, one of the goals of a good negotiator is to improve relationships with people on the other side, it's an opportunity to do that. And I have had situations, plenty of situations, where people have been at each other's throats, and the mere fact of sitting down and talking with each other and talking through the problems in a, in a forum that allows for productive listening and conversation, that that really um, helps them a lot in other things. But I just wonder a little bit about how you thread that needle between um, ensuring that, you know, that there is opportunity for the public to have some, you know, understanding of or influence over the policymaking process while at the same time um, leveraging a certain degree of privacy and, and confidentiality uh, to do your work. It's a great question. It's one of the big challenges of, of doing this work. Um, the, the solar project that you have been talking to folks about, those folks, it was completely driven by the stakeholders themselves. And so they decided that they wanted it to be private and that uh, they actually signed a non-disclosure agreement to make sure that it was private. And because there was proprietary information that was being shared and, and just in general, uh, in Virginia, in terms of the regulatory process, they didn't want to see things that they were saying in the, uh, in the mediation become part of a, uh, a regulatory process. So in that regard, what we've done is tried very hard to be done quickly at, at, uh, in a, I guess, an adequate time to go out and vet the product with other groups. And as time has gone on, we've been vetting it with other groups earlier in pieces, as opposed to waiting for a final product necessarily to come out. So there may be an issue that's specific to one special interest, and so we'll try and be talking to them. And, and typically, it's not even me doing that talking. It's usually one of the stakeholders who has a real interest in this particular issue, going and talking with somebody outside of the process to see. We have had um, open meetings that we have advertised, not, not like a government meeting that you advertise, but has been advertised where we all went into a big classroom here at VCU. We had cameras. We had a, a computer system that allowed people to call in. It was really quite elaborate, and it, and it worked out pretty well. And folks had the opportunity to give us input early on and at the end as well about, you know, what, what are the issues we ought to be talking about around this particular subject and then to try and vet the product itself. Um, in the public um, ones that I have done, uh, some of them have been subject to FOIA and have been wide open. Uh, they. Um, and, and what I always do, I mean, I have a, a table with the folks who are the stakeholders, but then uh, I always keep an open chair at the table so that anyone can come and occupy the chair temporarily to state whatever it is that they 
would like to state. Um, we try obviously to have a very diverse group of stakeholders so that we're covering everything. But if there's something, people can come to that open table, uh, say what they want, and then they have to vacate the seat. So that also provides uh, some sense of, of openness in that regard. And you know, finally, the uh, the, the legislative process or the regulatory process where the final piece of legislation or regulation goes is an open process. In most of these projects, I try very hard to spend time talking with people individually before they ever get to the table so that I have a chance to talk to them, introduce myself, ask a little about them so I can get a little bit of a sense of them. Um, Profess, typically profess my ignorance about the substance of the matter so that, uh, and, and ask them to help me uh, because people are more than willing to be of assistance to you. Um, try to spend some time with them on what the process would look like, um, at least in broad terms, and ask for their advice in terms of what, what might work or not work in this situation. So, um, so that, uh, those are the types of things that I do. You know, I, I also am, have been fortunate that when I've done something for, uh, I did one big project for the governor when he first got in. And, you know, if the governor says, here's the guy you're talking to, uh, that gives you a certain amount of credibility to begin with. Um, I did a, I did a, a big case involving uh, Sweetbriar College where they were going to go out of business and we got everybody together and they ended up uh, staying. And that all began because, and this I sort of helped convince the Attorney General that this is, this would be a good thing for him to convene everybody. Uh, he wasn't a party, but he had a role to play. And he said, great. And so he he wrote or called everybody or had somebody in his office call everybody and say, come to a meeting on this day and we're going to talk about whether we should mediate this. And he, and he said that you come and I'll introduce you as a wonderful human being. And, and you know, uh, that helps an awful lot as well. Help me understand how you designed this because it, it just sounded like there was so much depth that, that the parties needed to, uh, on earth in order to get to a, a feasible set of solutions on this and, and a tremendous amount of work. And I'm just curious how you in your mind thought about the best way to structure both their time together and then the time they might take separately to, to visit with one another. So um, the solar project is atypical again in that it's a small enough group um, and a um, and they get along pretty well. Uh, they got along pretty well from the start. That um, it, did, there, it didn't make an awful lot of sense uh, to them uh, or to me to break up into work groups on specific issues. They do a little bit uh, on that, but not as much as other things that I've done uh, and I'm doing. So, you know, and I also find, I mean, all of these folks, they're not, they're not necessarily decision makers. They're, they have to go back to their client, to their, and they, in order to do things. Uh, 
And so they, you know, if you look at these things as problem solving processes, which is the way I look at them, you know, the best way to solve problems, I think, is to have the decision or as close to the decision makers as you can sit down and just do it. And so it's fairly direct. It's, it's less meetings with this group because we had a lot of meetings. I think I'm sure they all complained about it uh, because not that they thought they were unproductive meetings, but that it just took a lot of meetings. And so for them, not so much. This project I was talking about on Certificate of Public Need, um, I have a very short time frame to try and do this. And so it's very important to do that, uh, to have work produced. And this also goes back to your point about public participation, is that what we've done is we have a decision makers group, which are people who were selected so that we, we had a diverse group of folks. But when we're doing the work groups, anybody can sit in and be sort of a uh, sit at the table. Um, and so we've only had one work group meeting so far on this project, but about 20 people showed up. And it was people who are, some of the people who are at the table and some who aren't at the table. So that, because of the time frame, became very, it seems today very important for there, that to be broken up that way. Um, I've had other pieces where the subject matter is just so complex. Uh, and among the group are people who really know about this particular issue, but really don't know as much about the other issue. Let's put the ones who know the most about it to solve the problem, try and solve that specific issue, and then bring it in back into the group and explain it to everybody, try and educate them and then get them, get them to see whether that works or not. In the uh, solar process, just this last year, um, we've got a very big issue, which is take forever to explain, but it was a very big issue. And we had been touching on it on numerous occasions. And finally, uh, the co-ops, who, uh, if you talk to Sam, the co-ops uh, said, we need to get this solved. You investor-owned utilities, if you don't want to solve it for yourselves right now, we're going to, we want it solved. And, but we were definitely, we were at impasse, and there was also, I would say, concern rightfully so, by the uh, investor-owned utilities. They're gonna, even though co-ops are very different, they could be setting a precedent for something that we don't necessarily want. So, so we had uh, the, we had, uh, they sort of struck out on their own. And then what, what I had to do, or what I did, was to basically have, uh, a bunch of the decision makers for the co-ops, we brought in even more of them into the process. And uh, on the, the other side, um, sort of just concentrated with one or two of the other interest groups about how to solve this particular problem. And so, and then it was much more shuttle diplomacy than it was being in a big group solving a problem. So that, that was the way it got solved, was it was just a lot more direct negotiations than it was sort of group negotiations. But at the same time, in order for it to be deemed a consensus product of the group, 
it still had to come back to the main group and for everyone to say, you know, this is not necessarily what we're going to do, but we're okay with you doing it. And, you know, and we'll stand up at the General Assembly and say, this is okay with us, you know, that, that this, these things were resolved this way for the co-ops. So I think this last year was probably one of the biggest. Um, so, you know, and then every mediation I've ever done, you hit spots where things get rough and, you know, you slow them down, you, you speed them up, you, you know, take somebody out of the room and talk to them for a little bit, you know, all those sort of tried and true techniques of, of moving things. Um, I, I work with a fellow by the name of John McCammon who runs the McCammon Group, and John is uh, always in our training, he's always saying, when the water's running downhill, get out the way. And, you know, but when it starts getting dammed up, then that's when you jump in and, and see what you can do. So depending on the group and how well they're getting along and what's happened, you know, there's, I think if you ask the folks at the, in the solar project, uh, I don't often say a lot in the meetings. You know, I'm summarizing what we've got, summarizing here, asking a question to move things along or focusing them. But as long as they seem to be having a good discussion I, and, and, you know, moving the ball forward, even if it's incrementally, I'm, you know, my sense is I don't need to be in the middle of that. Um, and so it, it's really picking your spots uh, of when you're going to sort of become much more active with the various skills and techniques that we have uh, to use. You know, to the extent that this podcast is heard by folks in a, in a fairly um, early to middle stage of their career uh, and or just by folks who have never really gotten involved with public policy matters and, and might want to. Um, what would you take away from either the solar project or, or other projects in your portfolio that you think would help be helpful for them to know as they consider embarking on this kind of work? If you don't have good listening skills, you better develop. Um, in this work, just like any other kind of mediation work, being a, a good listener, a, a great listener, <laughs> is so helpful to be able to do that. And so if, if you haven't worked on your listening skills to begin with, uh, you want to. Um, I tell folks that, that it's very important to listen with curiosity, um, not listening to respond, not listening to try and debate, but listening because you really do want to hear what they're saying. And a significant part of listening is asking questions, but it's asking questions in a way, again, out of curiosity not as a form of debating someone or, or, you know, I've seen this, does this apply? No, it's more, much more, you know, how questions, you know, how does that work? How is this? And giving people the opportunity to be able to explain things to you. And then obviously um, it's knowing how to, to sort of summarize back to them what you've heard and giving them an opportunity to correct you if you got it wrong or to say yes and, you know, here's something else that you need to know as part of that. The second piece is, I think, is, you know, remembering that you're not the expert. Uh, you, you are the facilitator. And while you need to learn about the subject matter, uh, you don't have to learn it 
to the depth uh, that the stakeholders have it. Uh, I, I generally, when I start, I am looking to be able to, um, to uh, I, I say that I, I can show that I know the lingo, uh, you know, that I, I, I won't be saying, you know, kilowatt when I mean megawatt or something, you know, that I just have some feel for the language that they're very comfortable with. Uh, because they live with it every day, but I'd like to be able to talk with them at the, you know, at that level by at least understanding the pretty, you know, basic terms. So I, I think that um, understanding your role uh, and that you are not, they're the problem solver, you're not the problem solver. I, I've often said to people that um, one of the things I learned practice of law was, is that when people came to me with a problem, uh, just because they came to me with the problem didn't make it my problem. I was going to do everything I could to help them. But at the end of the day, it was their problem and it was theirs to solve. I'd give them all the advice that they wanted. I'd give them the options. I'd figure out as much as I could. I'd advocate for them and do all the things they wanted. But at the end of the day, their decisions would be made and they're their decisions. And it's even more so in this process that it's not up to me. Uh, nobody's vested me with the power to make a decision. Um, I make suggestions in mediations very uh, infrequently, but I do make them, but I throw them out as suggestions as part of a general brainstorming sort of notion as opposed to, you know, hey, what about this one? That, you know, or, or start out with, you know, here's something I thought about. What do you guys think? Uh, so, uh, so I think it's a lot of it has to do for somebody who's getting into it is really appreciating what the goal is and getting your own attitude uh, in a place that you can be helpful and effective to people. I, I often tell negotiators, you know, you have to start with yourself. Uh, you've got to start understand your own interests. You've got to understand what emotions this triggers in you. Uh, and and what strategy you're going to use before you even start worrying about the other guy and what he or she may be, may be doing. And so the same thing I think actually is true for the mediator. You really do have to start with yourself in order to, to uh, put yourself in the right frame of mind to be doing it. And, you know, I get to train judges. Uh, I help train judges who are becoming mediators, and it's getting them to not be judges anymore. To get them to be mediators, not be the decision maker. Same thing is true uh, as a lobbyist. I made decisions. You know, I had clients, but I, I made all sorts of decisions. Well, I'm not the decision maker uh, in this situation. And so you have to, to me, if you can do all that, people start to trust you more. They think of you as an honest broker, they think of you and, as somebody who can convey messages and. Uh, summarize things in a fair and objective way so that they're they're comfortable um, they're comfortable talking to you both in public and in private that was Mark Rubin a mediator and the executive director of the Virginia Center for Consensus Building at Virginia Commonwealth University thanks for listening to this episode of resolutions from the American Bar Association dispute resolution section I'm Larry Schooler <laughs>